Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to Series 2, Episode 14 of From Page to Practice. Sorry it's been two weeks longer between episodes, but unfortunately I just couldn't get enough contributions to make a full episode when the last was due. I've not been able to for this week either, so today's episode is a similar length to normal but on two books. John Tate's Teaching Rebooted and Benny Curra's Diversity in Schools. I have my fingers crossed that as things hopefully calm down again after half term, there will be the usual amount of contributions to the next episode on Teach Like a Writer. As per usual, please do get in touch to take part. Let's get this episode underway and hear from John Tate. Hello, my name is John Tate and I am author of Teaching Rebooted from Bloomsbury Education. The reason I wrote this book was out of frustration really and um, you know, I've always said it's the book that I needed when I first started teaching and my frustrations really came over the last two or three years where I was learning more and more about what I call the science of learning and how, um, how human beings, really not just children, how we learn, how we process information and um, I, my own kind of um, route through teaching, I started through the graduate teacher program that someone, some of some of the listeners may kind of remember. Um, for any kind of newer teachers, it's a little bit like the school direct program right now. And because it wasn't one of the more traditional routes into teaching, I thought that maybe I'd missed this education and I'd missed the fundamentals of the science of learning. And I kind of felt a little bit like a a bit of a fraud to be honest because people were talking about dual coding metacognition spacing retrieval um and and I, and I kind of i had to read up on it i wasn't really sure what it was and i thought that i'd missed it so i kind of put this brave face on and um talked to people like i kind of knew about it and had to do some reading behind the you know be behind conversations and stuff and, and work out what it all was and why i hadn't been using it in my teaching and then the braver i got the more and more I started to speak to people about this and, and actually what came through conversations loud and clear were that actually I wasn't on my own in this. I wasn't the kind of fraud in the profession. There wasn't anybody out there that I spoke to that actually had a real great understanding of, like you say, what I call the science of learning. And it uh, became very quickly apparent that um, irrespective of people's journeys into teaching and whatever route they've taken, whether it was a traditional university course, whether it was a kind of a you know graduate teacher program route you know whatever it was that nobody had been given that grounding of of how human beings really learn and I, and I thought that was quite fascinating but also really worrying and, and frustrating that actually our core business is to make sure that we do the very very best we can for the children in front of us yet the foundations of actually you know how students you know how human beings remember information how we forget information the best ways to do this and the best ways to actually present information in the uh, in, in the more more most effective ways possible to enhance learning we weren't really aware of and we were kind of i suppose making it up as we as we go along as, as, as in the profession and um 
that was what really drove me to kind of write in the book um, that, that that I'd been speaking to people and I found that actually I'm sure there's a gap in the market here because you know the more and more people I speak to, the more and more people are in exactly the same boat as me, and uh, we really need this. Um, now, I kind of get why that is for a certain point of view because. Lots of the research has been written in, you know, highly academic language. It sits behind kind of sometimes research paywalls. Um, it's extensive in its kind of length, so it's, you know, 100 pages long or 50 pages long. And actually, we haven't got the time to read that as teachers. So I wanted to really make sure that my book was uh, was really accessible uh, and accessible from, from everyone from trainee teachers upwards to head teachers because... You know, whether you are wanting to use this to implement in your own classroom uh, as a teacher or whether you are leading teaching and learning and leading professional learning and wanting to implement this as, a, as part of your professional development program, then I wanted to make sure that this was a guide that was um, what I call a kind of a pick up and put down guide, you know, an easy accessible, you know, I want to look at questioning, right, I'll dive into that, I'll dive into that chapter, I want to look at uh, dual coding, let's dive into that one. Um, it's not supposed to be a book that you can you, know, you need to read from cover to cover, from start to finish in terms of uh, it being a logical kind of progression. And um, and again, that comes from my own, uh, seeing it through my own eyes, I've been able to kind of grab a book off my bookshelf and, and, and dip into it for 20 minutes or half an hour or go to a certain section I want to and find the information that I need <clears throat> rather than having to you know, read it like a novel from start to finish. So that was kind of my, my motivation for, for writing it and how I wrote it. And um, and also, there's been there's been so much of, of the research that that you know that I talk about in there that has been miscommunicated, um, you know, through the press, through kind of the the DFE or through Ofsted, uh, through our own kind of you know, networks through through schools, but also there's been so many misconceptions about that what what that research actually means that I want to clear a lot of that up. I want to make it really succinct um, and give people, I suppose, the um, the headlines and the sound bites uh, of that research so they don't have to go in and read all 100 pages of it but actually they get the gist of it very very quickly of what it means and more importantly how they can put that into their practice so the way i've structured the book i've structured each chapter into uh, teacher 1.0 and that is uh, it's a look at really all the things that we've done or we have been doing or we're still doing that are at odds with a lot of the research uh, of, of what the research says and that's not a you know you're a bad teacher if you're doing this but actually just a reflection of listen we're all doing this and we've all been taught to do this and told to do this so it's not a this isn't a reflection on, on anyone as an individual but actually let's look at some of the things we're doing and then let's look at the research and then actually if they do if those two things don't connect we need to be doing something different so that's what teacher 1.0 is the next part of each chapter is what does the research say? So I look at two key areas of research um, and, and like I say, give people the sound bites and make it really succinct. Here's an overview of what the research says relating to this area. So, um, you know, the, the chapters that I cover are retrieval practice, spacing, interleaving, questioning, assessment, feedback, learning versus performance, cognitive load, dual coding and metacognition. So all of those 10 chapters are split into those sections. And then also then we then have the teacher 2.0 section, which gives the readers um, four practical examples in every chapter of how to then put this research into practice. So four ways uh, in varying um, degrees of difficulty, I suppose, or, or, or kind of um, 
uh, complexity of how they can actually implement this in their classroom the very next day. So it's really kind of straightforward. Teacher 1.0, what have we have been doing? What does the research say? Then Teacher 2.0, how can we shift this on and how can we move it on with some practical ways of implementing this? And then at the end of every chapter, there's some further reading and some reflection questions for people to actually look at where, where are they are on this journey and how far towards that Teacher 2.0 are they on all those different chapters. So I really hope that people um, have been able to kind of really access this uh, in the in the way that I envisage it in terms of a pick up and put down guide, um, cutting through a lot of the waffle, cutting through the paywalls, cutting through the academic language, um, and 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 you know the vast kind of pages of, of research there is, and give people it really straight, really succinct, really easy to implement in their classrooms, um, and for us all to really understand the science of learning in a far better way because. You know, I just think that it's the book that, like I say, I wish I'd have read and I needed when I first started teaching. I wish that more trainee teachers would understand it. I wish that more, um, you know, the teachers that teach my own children would understand it. And I really wish, unfortunately, that the teachers that taught me, you know, back at the end of the 80s and the start of the 90s understood this more because I think that we would have all collectively saved so much time and made so many more better learning gains if we understood this right from the start so that's been my motivation for doing that i hope that people who have read it have been able to kind of um you know get those same kind of um benefits from it and it's been great to hear all the people that kind of have have reached out to me and said that you know that they've really enjoyed it it's really opened their eyes to the science of learning uh, and the research behind it and more importantly that they feel it's been a uh, hopefully a, a really kind of easy to use practical guide that they can implement in their classroom the very next day you're listening to from page to practice join the conversation on twitter using hashtag page practice podcast thanks for this introduction to your very useful book john we now have two readers who are going to reflect on how your book can be applied in the classroom first we'll hear from cara Hello, my name is Cara Carey. I work on the Teach First training programme, supporting teachers in their initial teacher training and their NQT years. I tweet at caracarey20 and blog at theloveoflearning.co.uk. I'm really excited to be back on my favourite edu podcast, talking about what is currently my favourite edu book. I think this book is great because it provides a really concise summary of what we have learned about in teaching and learning over the past decade or so. It's really accessible, but still robust in terms of its evidence base. John selects two or three studies per chapter to go into detail on and ends the chapters with links for further reading. Each chapter also includes really practical ways that you can trial these ideas in your classroom. I wanted to write a summary of the book so that I could share it with colleagues and trainees, but at first I didn't know where to start really because the book is already so concise and easy to dip in and out of. But I kept looking through these um, re- these really practical ideas and could see how easy they were to implement into everyday practice. So I thought it might be useful to summarise some of these strategies into a sort of lesson plan format. So I started to think about... Um, which of John's ideas you might think about at which stage of planning. So which ideas are relevant to when you're planning your questioning, which ideas are relevant to when you are thinking about your assessment for learning, um, which ideas are more relevant to when you're thinking about medium and long-term planning. And I've put all of this in a a one-page document with clear links to um, each idea um, from the book. 
I've been sharing this with my trainees so that they can have a think about how to um, implement evidence-informed practice um, into their planning, teaching and their feedback. Um, it's, it's available online. I, I've put it up on my blog at theloveoflearning.co.uk. Um, it's free to download if you are interested and I'd be really um, grateful to hear any of your feedback. Another way in which I've used this book is um, referring back to the questions that John writes at the end of each chapter to prompt personal reflection. Um, currently, the, um, I, I'm doing unseen observations with my trainees. So we meet to co-plan. They teach the lesson without me seeing it. And then we reflect on it together. Um, these questions that John has written about sort of prompting for personal question for personal reflection, particularly um, the questions at the end of the chapter on questioning, are really helpful in helping trainees to unpick their practice. Um, we look at how they've assessed students' understanding um, and how they might improve this area. So those those questions there have, have been really useful prompts in supporting trainees in reflecting on their practice. It's a book that I constantly have on my table and uh, use regularly as a reference point and keep going back to. It's as I said, it's really easy to to get to to read through. It's um, really concise, um, really informative, and I would recommend it to anyone. Um, thanks for listening. Um, as I said, my Twitter is at carvacary twenty, and I'd love to continue the discussion further. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks for this, Cara. It's great to have you back and thank you so much for generously signposting the resource you've created. I also really like your use of the reflective questions and I'd never heard of an unseen observation before. Next up and last on this book, we have Zoe. Hello, my name's Zoe Entzer, um, and uh, if you don't know anything about me, I'm a, uh, currently an English advisor working across Kent, um, working with the education people. Uh, I was a classroom teacher for 20-something years, uh, head of English teams and English faculties, and also a senior leader in schools. And I just wanted to do a quick review of Teaching Rebooted, Using the Science of Learning to Transform Class Practice by John Tate, which uh, came out earlier this year, published by Bloomsbury. Uh, I think this is a, a fantastic little book, uh, particularly for those that might be new to some of the research that exists there. Um, what John does is he draws together what um, people such as Professor Robert Coe are calling the best bets in terms of what can make a difference to our practice. And, um, and what John does is he, he pulls those together and he really starts to unpick um, what's going on within those particular topics to support people to be able to better use them in the classroom. Um, he argues uh, quite eloquently at the start of his book about the need to perhaps medicalise our profession a little bit. Um, we've moved a lot uh, away from some of the previous practices, which were often about trial and error. And that's certainly when I started in the profession, there was, there was a lot of that going on as opposed to really considering 
what uh, our practice might be being led by in terms of the science of learning and um, and the research that's out there and the evidence that's out there. And um, he kind of makes this comparison with the medical profession and um, the, the processes that they went through, moving away from that and uh, drawing on really what the science was telling them. And, and he's saying that there's room for us to be doing that within teaching. And I, I think he definitely has a point there. Now, in his book, he covers 10 major areas which people are likely to have heard about. So you've got retrieval, practice, spacing, interleaving, questioning, assessment, feedback, learning versus performance, cognitive load, dual coding and metacognition. And in each of those sections, he really unpicks what some of the myths are around them, as well as what some of the research suggests. So he's trying to provide ways that people can really practically use it um, and, and have that understanding, which means that it's going to have um, much more meaning in their classroom and be used in a much more purposeful way. Uh, I myself, I'm a big fan of how we think about our tools and uh, what we've got available to us in the classroom and how we select those tools and then how we refine those tools. Um, the other thing I really like that he does throughout is there's this constant reference to reflection and thinking about your own context. And uh, he's, he's got a page at the end of each chapter where you are given the opportunity to reflect on what that might mean within your classroom. And although the sections themselves um, are unlikely to necessarily have people filling those in, you know, they're very small sections, I just think it's that nudge, it's that reminder that um, it's, it's what we're doing with this that matters. You know, we can read all the educational books, we can read all the research and look at all the evidence that we want, but ultimately it's what happens in our classroom that makes difference. And I think those nudges that he provides for us throughout are really, really important. Um, it's a wealth of information in there and he's really sort of pulled together lots and lots of the research so there's further reading too so it's not just again ending with once you've read the book that's it you're done you've got those opportunities to unpick further and consider further so I think this is a really useful book particularly again for those that perhaps aren't familiar with some of these concepts um, but actually as somebody who's fairly experienced and, and has got you know quite a, a lot of knowledge that where I've read around these topics it was really useful again to see how we can draw those together and think about what they might look like in the classroom so again I, I would highly recommend this book um, particularly as, as I said for people who are new to some of these things um, and that uh, you really take this opportunity to reflect on that and think about what it might mean for you in your classroom context. So thank you ever so much for listening and uh, hopefully you find the book as useful as I have. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thanks for your overview, Zoe. I do hope some listeners will now head off to get a copy of this book for themselves. Now, if we'd stopped here, it would have been a pretty short episode, so it's a good job I've chosen to combine two. Let's move on to Diversity in Schools by Benny Cara, starting with Dave and Rhiannon. Hi there, I'm Dave Tushingham, and I'm a lead practitioner in a school in Bristol. Hi, my name's Rhiannon Rainbow, and I'm School Improvement Lead Maths for the Greenshaw Learning Trust. And today we're just going to talk briefly about the book Diversity in Schools by Benny Cara. Um, and something that I picked up when reading this book was the um, the idea of modelling a learning journey. And it really made me think about what I do in the classroom and how that could link to my um, improved understanding of what diversity really means. 
um, and how to become myself that citizen of the world. Um, as, as said in the book, it's, it just feels like um, there's lots of connections that can be made there. And, and it just made me really think about, um, as I said, my lessons and how I narrate the thinking within a modelled example and how I, I look at what I'm learning too. Um, and how I could do that um, around diversity with the students that I'm talking to in the classroom. It made me think about, um, as, as Benny says in the book, um, being interested in difference. And so in my modelled examples, I'm very interested in difference. And, and to bring that also into conversations around diversity. Um, and there's some really good um, pieces of advice within the book about using um, names and the power of making sure that you get the names of students correct, for example, and, and really sort of taking that extra care um, to really know someone and to really um, appreciate what they're all about and, and, and how they think and what they do. Um, and, it, and it made me think about, um, there's a particular part about seating plans. Um, and, and myself, I would rank my students um, on, on their um, attainment on the most recent assessment. And I would use this in terms of my questioning to bounce questions around. And I would use cold calling. So um, I might ask students at the front of my classroom, what do you think about that problem? I would then go to the back of the classroom and ask why, why that particular student has said it. And it feels like um, something that's reasonably random. Um, but something that, that in my mind, I then really, um, I guess, fear I have this um, sort of insecurity about is, is the unconscious bias is there. So that bias that might be within what I'm doing there that I don't really understand and don't know. Um, and that's the bit that, that sits uncomfortably with me. And this book really sort of helped me to, to feel that I have permission to, to go on that learning journey myself and, and to, to really understand um, what that unconscious bias is because I feel it's, it's impossible to be completely random in, in the choices you make because there's an element of choice but it's it's so important to really understand how you can minimise that unconscious bias and, and to be able to take those uh, risks so to speak and, and to go through that learning journey so that you can become that citizen of the world I think I think this book really sort of helped me to understand what I wanted to do and just sort of gave me permission to do it as well I felt. Yeah it's it's a really it's really manageable and it's a really nice, easy read as well. It's it's not too heavy. You can pick it up, reflect on it, take something away from it. So it's it's a nice way of sort of holding our hands through starting to think about and engage with these things. And I suppose it's like with, <clears throat> with, with sort of chores or things we need to do or for students, things they need to study. You're going to do what you're used to. You're going to do what you're most comfortable with. So are you going to ask the students questions for which you more quickly pick up their names? And do you more quickly pick up their names because they're more easily recognisable to you? Because they're what you are used to hearing, you know, what you've been immersed in so far. So I know um, the power of a name is, is something you learn really, really quickly in teaching. And one of my, one of, with a name like Rhiannon, for example, it was just always hilarious. My mum will always talk about how cards would come through for Christmas or birthday <clears throat> and we'd look for how many different ways it could be spelt. So my mum knew very early on to help me to get used to um, supporting others with knowing how to spell my name. And yes, it's part of my identity, but helping to support others in knowing that as well. Um, you know, I'm really proud that it's a Welsh name. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, I really like what it signifies about me and who I am. So, and, 
your name is Dave. My son's name is Dave. And your, your name is so important to you. So when I'm trying to get to know a class and to build a rapport with a class, I will, if I'm doing the register, straight away I'll apologize. I'll say, look, I'm really sorry if I, if I say your name wrong. Please let me know. And if you want me to abbreviate it at all, just let me know that as well. So I'll do the formal bit of the register. And then when I'm trying to get to know them in my first lesson, when they're doing their work, I go round and I ask them their name individually to help me memorize them. Because that way, I also hear them say their name. So I, I almost forget what I've read on the register. I want my first experience of their name to be them saying it. And then that gives me the opportunity to have that little one-to-one -one of, okay, so you like it to be said that way? Great. Is, does this sound right? Thank you. Because I think it's important to start that conversation and to have that respect for it as well. And I know when it comes to some of our book club sessions, we've got, we've got guests and members joining us that I've never seen before and names that I haven't seen written in that way, but I may have heard them. So I do get a little nervous when I'm introducing somebody to talk for the first time if I'm not sure of how, then, how, how to say their name and if I'm saying it correctly. And I hope I come across in a way that doesn't offend them in, in how it's managed, but it's something I'm always so conscious of because of how important it is to a person's identity. Absolutely, um, I couldn't agree more. And it's um, and it's something which, uh, when when reading later through the book as well, um, it made me think about sort of different um, things I could do to to learn more about different cultures, to learn more about uh, being that global citizen. And uh, and one thing within our subject, that I think that. Um, that, that I could really um, address and, and work on is, is that idea of um, that global mathematical culture and bringing in um, more of sort of where where the mathematical mathematics originates from um, and uh, and talking about um, stories a little bit more um, around um, around what the the mathematics is but how it originated and and, and how it influences our, our everyday and, and I think that that's something that, that could be really powerful in the classroom to, to do also. I think we take for granted how representative mathematics is of a whole raft of cultures and communities and ways of thinking. And if we don't share that background, that hinterland knowledge, um, if we don't share that with our students and if we're not explicit about it, if we don't talk about it with them, then how can we expect them to know and embrace it as well? And also for the diversity of students we have in the classroom to be able to identify with the whole range of mathematicians that have come before us that we are learning and using and building upon and enjoying what they did in our everyday lessons to help us understand things more so. I think I need to stop assuming that that is already known or I need to remember how important that is when I'm educating students as well as the knowledge and skills I'm trying to help them to become um, more confident in. Because if they know where it comes from and the story behind it, they're more likely to engage with it better because we learn better through hooking our knowledge onto stories, as long as that story isn't distracting. And how can a story about the, uh, the diversity of mathematics be distracting? 
Absolutely, couldn't agree more again. And it's just, um, the book is just a fantastic read. Um, that's just a little sort of snippet of a couple of things that we've taken away. But um, I think there's so much more to take away there, um, particularly for me around the, the, the classroom um, environment and what I can do in my own practice, the the idea of the Seaton plan and and, um, and how that can um, sort of influence um, students in terms of uh, feeling included um, and, and involved properly and completely in the lessons that I teach. So really appreciated reading that book and just thank you for the opportunity to do it. Absolutely. And with when we're working with colleagues as well, not just our students, because it, it just it, it kept making me refer, think back to rebel ideas from Matthew Syed and thinking about the diverse thinking around the table and the value that that brings and not having an echo chamber. And if we can have that within our lessons with students when they're sharing different ideas and approaches and with our colleagues and everywhere else, then everybody will benefit. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And we can't wait to hear from her at our book club session coming up soon either. Thank you so much, Sheree, for, for discussing that with you. Really enjoyed it. Um, and, and thank you very much, everyone, for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Dave and Rhiannon. It's nice to hear from you again. Next up, we'll hear from Celeste. Hi, my name is Celeste, and you can find me on Twitter at MFLCE. I'm going to talk to you today about the little book, Diversity in Schools. Um, I'm an NQT in Berkshire, and I'm I'm almost finished with my training. And I decided to read this book because I really needed some kind of ideas um, to tackle diversity in my classroom and in the school community um, as a whole. What really interested me in this book is first, the size. It's a really little book. You can take it with you everywhere. It's really easy to read and it really goes straight to the point. There are some key takeaways that I can talk to you about from this book. In my school, in the past few weeks, we've been looking at diversity a lot um, in form time and also on how to incorporate more diversity in our curriculum. We have been having discussions with pupils in different stages of their education, for example, younger years, but also um, in key stage four. And this has been really positive for us to understand what kind of change the pupils feel like they need. What I really can take away from this book is the practical ideas it gives um, for a teacher and especially a young teacher like me. Um, I have really enjoyed reading about the different ideas they give um, as activities, for example, in tutor time, um, and also some really great things like the cultural calendar that they recommend using. I have actually found a really good one on, on the internet, and I've printed it and put the May month in my form classroom. And all the students have really enjoyed reading about the different um, awareness days, for example, mental health, but also because it represents all communities and it's really great for them to see that their teacher and everyone in the school really cares about, really care about um, celebrating and embracing the cultures. That made me think um, as an MFL teacher at how I could bring more diversity in my lessons in general. So obviously in MFL, I teach French and Spanish 
But in every language, we, we have to bring the culture at the heart of what we teach because it's quite difficult to teach a language if you don't talk about um, what people do in, in the countries where the languages is, is, are spoken. So it made me think about, especially this cultural calendar, how I could bring this and maybe um, highlight what people do in other countries, for example, where people speak French, what kind of celebrations there are, and also stop focusing on just one country like France or Spain, but really bringing um, a lot of other cultures and other countries because it's not just about these um, European countries, um, these languages. Um, I know that there is um, a teacher who is, I think it's at Polyglot Languages, something like that on Twitter, um, And she does some cultural calendars, which are really great. And they really embrace um, all aspects of the language and the countries and the culture of the target language countries. So it's it's really amazing if you have time to go and check it out. Um, it's really great. Um, since September, I've really tried to incorporate more diverse um, pictures or even names in my lessons rather than just staying with stereotypical names and really European names in my lessons. And I can really see that it had it has had an impact um, on engagement and all my pupils feel more um, comfortable talking about their own culture, for example. So that has been really positive. Um, what I really liked as well in the book, and it, it gives you a better idea of what kind of language um, we are using at the moment in our classrooms. And it's not everyone, but we tend to still use some languages like girls or boys when we address pupils in the classroom. And it's something that we don't really realize. And what I like in this book and that is that it gives you opportunities to reflect on what you are doing at the moment. And it's not judgmental, um, but it asks you questions and it gives you some space um, to think about it and write down what you are doing at the moment, how confident you are on a topic. And it's actually nice to be able to reflect and feel like, yes, I need to know more. I need to challenge myself and think about what I could improve um, because it's something that can be a bit Um, taboo, I guess, in some schools where people don't really talk about this and other teachers might not want to express their feelings about maybe maybe they know that they have this kind of bias or that they should think a bit more about the language they're using. But this book is actually good um, to self-reflect and take actions yourself um, about what you're going, you're going to do to improve um, and to include more all ethnicities, all people in your class. So it's been really great to read about this and I feel like I have a lot of ideas of what I want to do in the future in my classroom and in form time, for example. The last thing really I wanted to talk about is Lifter. So I think it's in chapter two. Um, the author of the book talks about the website called Lifter. And I went on it and I had a little look around and they actually offer some free training for teachers and for schools. So even you can enter your school and um, do some training there. So I attended, I attended one 
um, one half of the training already where they presented the website and they told us all the things we could do and what kind of support there is for secondary and primary teachers in the UK. Um, I think it's affiliated with the British Council. So it's something really, um, really great, really thought thought through. Um, and the training was really thought-provoking. So that was really great. And now I have to go away and try something in my school. So for example, an assembly, but I think I'm going to stay um, at a quite small level and I'm going to, to do something in my form, in my form group, in my tutor group, maybe after half term, um, in form to do maybe a week of, about diversity. And I'm going to try to use Lifter um, to do that. Um, Lifter is really good. It's really easy to use. It gives you some lesson plans. You also have some sort of global view where you can see the globe and go around it. And it offers you um, some really good insights of other countries, what they do there, um, different people talking about their life and what they do. And I really thought it was amazing to be able to take your pupils into another country virtually, um, but with really good quality resources as well. So yes, I really recommend um, buying this book, reading it. It's really small. It literally took me maybe two evenings to, to read through it. And they, it is packed with ideas, really. There are even case studies. Um, so it's really complete and it really makes you think about um, all the things that we can do. And it's actually not that difficult to incorporate more diversity at your level in your school. So yeah, thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Celeste. It's really good to hear how your reading has helped you to not only reflect, but to then take action on the things that you need to change. Finally, let's hear from Anne-Louise. Hi, my name's Anne-Louise Jordan and I'm the Deputy Head of a British School in Madrid. And I'm going to talk to you about my review of Diversity in Schools by Benny Cara. Uh, I'd like to start off just by talking a bit about my DEI journey, diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, our, our journey at school started at the beginning of the term in 2019, where we stopped and took a temperature check of the culture of our school. We ran a whole staff session and we asked them to think really deeply about where we were as a school at that point in time how the school fit in with our values and the values of the community, both local and global. So through this session, we could see that the vast majority of our staff didn't actually align themselves with the school's values. And so from this, we created a vision of where we wanted to go and thought about how we could bridge that gap. DEI was born in this session and our staff got out their magic wands and said exactly what they wanted for our school. Almost one year on, one and a half years on, and a pandemic under our belts, we're at a point where we've actually followed through with those wishes. We have a team of staff who know that they're accountable for DEI and that our team, our DEI team, lead it, and they carry out regular curriculum and resource checks as well as asking those important questions, especially to us in SLT, to ensure that we are staying true to our vision. So I read Benny's book about 
halfway through the journey, my own journey towards EDI. And I just loved its simplicity and its size. It really means you can keep it with you. The, the So in the book, each chapter, each part, there's reflection points, which I absolutely loved and got in my bullet journal. And it gives you ideas for the classroom and important links, which are really, really helpful. So the first thing I did from reading the book, literally after reading the first chapter, where she talks about getting the language right, I made an information poster for my staff. Um, what I thought was that no matter what part of your journey you're on, you, you need to get the language right. And I loved how she started that. That was her first chapter to really know what it, what it is that we're talking about here. Uh, so I made them an information poster and it gave them clear examples to help them get the language right in their classrooms and also for themselves. Because like I said, everyone's on a different journey, but getting it right from the outset will ensure that there's an even starting position. So from this, we can build on more about what these mean for our children, but we have to know it ourselves first. So... Language, for example, even just neurodiversity, it's not as clear cut as saying that someone has dyslexia or autism. It's much more, it's much more than that. It's much broader and it's definitely not simple. So once people get to know what neurodiversity is, what sexuality is, what gender is, race and disability, then it means that we can begin to move forward together. So whatever stage you're at on your journey towards EDI in your school, pick up this book, give it a read, as you will find lots of reflections and ideas to start adding to your growing knowledge base or even just trying to figure out where to begin. So the other thing was is that at the back of the book, there's a reading list, which is just excellent for adding to your collection or starting it. It really is a minefield out there with so much to take in. But this book will bring the main pieces together in small bite-sized chunks. It's totally worth a read. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thank you for coming on the podcast again, Anne-Louise. It was interesting to hear your reflections. That's it for today, and the next episode will be on Teach Like a Writer, and I really need your voices. Please do get in touch. Bye for now, and have a lovely half-term. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.